Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 is back, live from the 6th and Peabody Studios with Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine, with Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us. A lot to get to on a busy college football kickoff weekend. The NFL is now up with week one just around the corner, two days away from kicking off Tampa Bay and Dallas, and much, much more over the next three hours we're with you across the Outkick Network. If you're watching on YouTube, we hope you'll subscribe to the channel. Outkick 360 is where you can find us there. You can download the podcast wherever you find your podcast. And as always, you can communicate with the show on Twitter at Outkick360. Gentlemen, what a football weekend. That was fun. Boys, we've arrived in what is one of my favorite days to host a show. Tuesday after Labor Day, full weekend of football to dissect. Let's get into it. And we get to hear foolishness, like Mike McCarthy thinks that Zach Martin, because he's a tough guy, can test out of COVID in time to play on Thursday night. Not really making the connection that no matter how tough you are, that doesn't determine that you can get out of a virus. Is he telekinetic? Maybe like mind over matter <laughs> yeah. type thing? Like if you power. think hard enough, this is like something that Bruce Lee would have believed. Right. Like yeah. you think hard enough, you become, if you're water, you become water and that virus passes through and like water, it'll flow light right out and you can test out in a day or two. I like so it. Zach Martin's just going to yeah. will this out of him. Powerful mind. Man, what, what, a, what a fun weekend and uh, what a fun week we have coming up here at 6th and Peabody. A benefit concert tonight. I'll tell you more about that coming up. Tomorrow night, Paul, we have the Outkick 360 Fantasy Football Draft. One spot remains open. And we are ready to go, gentlemen. But you know what we need for this one spot? Estrogen. <laughs> we need a little bit more estrogen. Um, so, ladies... And we're not talking about the type of estrogen that David Reed took when he was bodybuilding <laughs> and had to come down from that, right. that real pump high. No, we're talking had. about... You get the high on the pump. Natural you know what I mean? Not that type of estrogen. Estrogen. We have uh, two ladies in the league. One who's very pregnant um, and may not attend in person because of her uh, advanced pregnancy, if you will. So uh, maybe we'll, she'll be drafting while uh, welcoming a child into, into the world, a new 360 listener. I think we should replace her, personally. I think that I made this mistake really a year well. ago with a guy who a buddy had to move across the country quickly and he couldn't be there live because he had to move his buddy and I felt sorry for him and let him participate. Now that I look back, I should have replaced him right then and there because he couldn't be there live. Our friend Jared Puffer once made the mistake of presuming that a pregnant woman did not want into the league anymore and he's still paying a price for that and the oldest child I believe is 12. <laughs> <laughs> I am not going to make this error. She is welcome in, but so is another fine woman listener of this show right now dm me at paul kuharski nfl i will sort through the dozens of women who are sure to want this slot tomorrow night six o'clock 
here at Yeehaw Brewery at Old Smoky uh, Distillery. We're going to have a great party, half price on everything. We'll sit in our draft order. We'll have a lovely draft, a lovely competition, huge prizes, $1,000 or a suite to a Nashville Predators home game. That's 14 seats if they're operating fully as they should be. Uh, or a set of tires. The winner gets to choose what he or she wants for that first prize, and then they trickle down from there, all courtesy of Two Rivers Ford, great friends of ours who have provided these prizes for a great league for a good while now. Yes. Um, come one, come all. One more in, and then I will send out the notification with instructions and all the like. The draft order will be set, and we will be ready to go. There is a, uh, a benefit concert here at 6th and Peabody tonight. Uh, for the victims of the Waverly flooding that took place a couple of weeks ago. Craig Campbell, Jason Seaver, Chris Weaver, uh, Chase Beckham, Tiffany Goss, Kanan Smith, Will Nance, and more. They're all going to be on stage. It's a free event. It's a charity concert tonight starting at 7 p.m. All proceeds go to the Community Foundation of Middle Tennessee that will benefit the Waverly flood victims. And a portion of every moonshine tasting and beer tasting from today through Saturday will be donated to the Community Foundation of Middle Tennessee. Uh, plus, uh, on-site donations accepted now through Sunday. And again, donations uh, accepted this evening on-site for the free concert, the Songwriters Night. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, we'll be here. Outkick 360 will be represented as a part of it, uh, as a part of where we broadcast from each and every day, 6th and Peabody in downtown Nashville. Someone Jeff. who will not be here real quick tonight for that benefit uh, is Morgan Wallen. And there was a lady who walked into our studio today. This is the first time this has happened. We've been here now, what, three weeks. We're going on three weeks, and no one has walked right into our studio. There was a woman here looking through the gift shop at Old Smoky Yeehaw, opened our door, walked right into the studio, looked at Jacob Swanson and said, I'm sorry, are you Morgan Wallen? Can I take your picture, please? And Jacob had to inform her that he, in fact, is not Morgan Wallen. So Morgan Wallen is not producing this show, will not be at the benefit tonight. I just wanted to clear that up if that woman happens to still be in the He's gift shop looking around. He's also been mistaken for Travis Tripp. The yes. guy's just mistaken That's why for country music, uh, music stars all by everyone. Um, favorite game of the weekend, guys. Which was it? Oh, man. I, I, I would go with two as, as my top two options for the weekend. One, I think, will fall on everyone's list. Notre Dame yes. and Florida State Sunday night was right up there with McKenzie Milton, and that whole storyline was great. Um, the other was uh, Oklahoma Tulane. I thought the storyline of Hurricane Ida and Tulane being displaced, that was going to be a home game for them against Oklahoma. They go to Norman, they get up 7 nothing. they get up 14-7, to and then they're down, I think, 34-14 to at one point. Oklahoma looks like they have it in hand. Tulane chips away, comes back, gets the onside kick, has a chance to win it late. Um, what a great story that would have been had they been able to win it, but it was still a remarkable game to watch either way that Tulane almost came up with a mammoth upset. I did not see any of Notre Dame because I was at soccer game here. heard it was a great game. I was fully invested in Fresno State against Oregon. I liked Fresno State a lot. Their quarterback, Hayner, with a terrible fumble that turned the tide. I had them in a parlay. And I now, Chad, will overbet Fresno State all year long based on the promise they showed me in this game and how much I like them in this game. They're probably not as good as they showed in this game, but it will echo in my head all season long. Completely agree, uh, Chad, on, on Notre Dame and Florida State. And I, I wonder, 
and looking back on teams that need a win like that, I, trailing, what, 18 points, I think, Florida State, they're able to get back in that. They'll look back on that opportunity missed. That's one of those games where you wonder, is that the game that could have catapulted the Seminoles forward as we kick off this season from where they were to where they could be? That would have been big. Uh, massive. And, and a, a big win for, for Notre Dame right out of the gates as well. Uh, and what was a, just a, a classic opening weekend matchup. But, look, it's a great showing for the Seminoles. It's a great storyline with Mackenzie Milton and what he overcame and, and – and, you know, how they honored Bobby Bowden and everything in that game. I just can't help but think five, six, seven weeks from now, when they end up with a certain record, are they looking back on the game that could have been? And also Georgia, Georgia-Clemson. That was a good game. Uh, it if was, you like defense, especially. Georgia's defense, keep in mind, Georgia's defense was down a couple of players due to injury. And they still brought the heat Snap after snap, there was no no chance for Clemson to really set up and pass. And I think Georgia caught Clemson at the right time. At the same time, give the Bulldogs a ton of credit because they just overpowered in the trenches at the line of scrimmage against How the How good, Clemson though, Tigers. is Clemson's offense going to be? I think their offense is going to be fine. Yeah. I, mean, I think defense, they're going to score. I think pass. Georgia caught them at the right time, but Georgia's defense is so legit. Really good. I, I thought that Georgia's defense we knew was, was great and had the chance to be great coming into the season. I thought the real failing in this game was the offensive line for Clemson, which that may be a problem Overwhelmed. the rest of the year. But I still think that offensively they're going to be fine as, as they get going. Um, and, and DJ Uagalale. I think it's how you pronounce nice. it. Uh, I say it differently every time, so next time I say it, it may be Just totally different. Um, he's going to get better. Mm-hmm. The offense is going to get better. But Georgia's ability to overpower on the defensive line and that defensive front is incredible to watch. Seven sacks in the game for the Bulldogs. I found myself – there were two biggest games today. Penn State, Wisconsin, Georgia, Clemson. Seven combined points in the first half of those two games. Scoreless. In, in Madison for that game, and 7 nothing I think, at halftime for Georgia, their lead over Clemson, and that was a defensive touchdown. Um, but I found the, the Penn State-Wisconsin game to be way more compelling, even in a scoreless game. I don't know if it was because it was on campus and it had a different energy to it. I don't know if it was the Gus Johnson effect calling that game, but watching both those games, I'm going to be completely honest, and this sounds like blasphemy to the SEC fan, I was lulled to sleep watching Clemson and Georgia. It was competitive. Great athletes on both sides, really good defense being played. I didn't find that game to be compelling at all. I think part of it was the Because neither side. team could get anything going. I had part bigger expectations, well, I mean, too. Wisconsin Penn State was scoreless at the half. Right. Now, it turned out they had more points in the end uh, in that game, but it was there was more – I don't know. There was a different energy about that well, game. Well, you charged up with bigger expectations, too, for the prime time. The whole day builds up to that game, right? And then neutral site certainly has a bearing on it. But you're waiting for more, uh, I think, and then it doesn't deliver. And you'd already had your defensive dish of the day in the Penn State-Wisconsin game. I don't think anybody's fired up for a second one of those. Should Georgia run the table and lose the SEC title game against Alabama? I mean, watching Alabama, SEC is top-heavy for sure. Um, they're still getting a spot in the college football playoff. I mean, so that, that's, that the, game helps that's the recency bias of what we saw in a 10-3 10 to 3 final score. I cannot help but think this, though, about the run-the-table scenario. Is Georgia good enough? And the, the answer can be yes. Is Georgia good enough to get by 
with a outstanding stellar defense and a pro style offense because I'm watching JT Daniels and then I'm watching Bryce Young I'm watching what they're doing at Ohio State uh, I think the Clemson offense gets better uh, there are other examples are they are they going to be on par with those teams at the end of the year on quarterback play because JT Daniels, to me, is a notch below the quarterback play that we're seeing or will see at the other program. I, I think their offense is three it? notches below. It's not just Daniels as a quarterback. I think that, to, to your broader question, Hutton, what I'm seeing offensively from Georgia is what I've seen a lot in the past, and it's a couple notches below what everyone else brings to the table. When did LSU and Ed Ogeron win a national title? When Joe Burrow play. opened Showed it up. up and they ran a modern college offense where they were playing fast – they had great wide receivers. They had a great running game with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. They could do a little bit of everything, and they had a great quarterback. Georgia just still lacks the dynamics that you see with now what Alabama but. has moved to and what Ohio State has done. Now, are they – here's the question. Are they so good on defense that it doesn't matter? Well – That it will erase that? They may be. They, they believe that because you could tell the game plan against Clemson – in a tight matchup, they did not feel they needed to go outside the box offensively at all because they knew if they did not turn the football over, they, they were, were going to win the game. They, were, they would just run their offense, their pro-style offense. Their defense would pick up the slack, which it did with the pick six, and, and they win that game. If they beat Clemson that way, and you look at their remaining schedule, there's not a game where they're not favored. And, and I mean, the only game I see that's even remotely tricky for them is well, there's two at Auburn and Florida. Well, before that's it. Florida's got quarterback issues now. And after I, yeah, week and one. I, I would say Auburn would be the more of the snake pit game on the road uh, than Florida. I think Georgia right now is look. It's one week. We're going to overreact to everything because we have one game to go on for all these teams. But defensively, I didn't see anything close over the weekend except maybe Clemson you're, and what they were able to do against you're Georgia. You're not saying though that they're so questionable on offense that they're going to need defensive points every week. Well, they're going to have to score offensive touchdowns against Bama, and Bama has the same level of athlete on defense that Georgia does. Well, he's given them a loss against Bama. I think we all are. Right? I'm saying to get you to the college football to the, playoff, can the they run this off with the loss to Bama? Well, let's go into something even bigger that Georgia really wants. It's to stop having 1980 thrown in their face. It's to win a national title. To win a national title, they're going to have to beat Bama at some point, whether it be in an SEC championship game or in the playoffs. And can JT Daniels get and, them there? And my point is they may be able to have an offense that's above average in that defense and win out up until Alabama. You're going to have to put a bunch of points on the board to beat Alabama and Bryce Young in that offense. I don't know that they have the offensive system to do that. Well, it's an old-school mentality that's going to be put to the test. But, look, I, I, Georgia deserves a ton of credit here because going into the game, at least from my perspective, it was if Georgia wins over Clemson, they have a leg up on the SEC. They have been chasing Alabama. Kirby Smart has been chasing Alabama, as everyone has, but Georgia's really got the reach to go and grab them. And by far and away, we're seeing the two best teams in the SEC in Alabama and Georgia. And right now... It, you, Georgia's ahead of Alabama. It, they're both 1-0, and o, but Much based on win. victory, um, and, and I'm not looking at the future schedule, just today, that's a better win, and I, I give props to what Georgia was able to go and do. I didn't see them winning that game prior to kickoff, and, and they went and won it and, and dominated on defense. Clemson had no solution for what they were doing. They brought blitzes 
from multiple locations, multiple players. Um, and, and that interior defensive line for Georgia, I mean, there, there are three or four deep up front. It was impressive. Well, and the, the knock on Georgia is Georgia eventually is going to Georgia. They're going to walk out there and they're going to play miserably at the wrong time and they're, someone's going to knock them off because they are so bad. What I think you have to give Kirby Smart a lot of credit for is that he has recruited to a level and built that defense up to where they are almost Georgia-proof <laughs> in that I don't know how they lose a game against someone that's not Alabama or one of the elite teams in the country. And here's why. Even if Georgia goes all Georgia against, let's say, Kentucky, who I think Kentucky's got a Kentucky's very good team look, this year. Yeah, I do too. But let's say they go all Georgia against Kentucky. That's probably a 14-6 to win for Georgia because the defense is so good. And that, you know, what can go wrong? A lot of things. You, they got the defensive touchdown this game. That was the difference in the game. You could give up two touchdowns on defense on special teams. Up. Right. You could, that, that could happen. And I think JT Daniels is good. I don't know that he's completely, you know, he's not a mistake-prone guy necessarily. But those things could happen. But, again, defensively, they are so tough to get anything done against that they've almost Georgia-proofed themselves for this regular season. I'm sure I'll be proven wrong at some point along the way, but if you're looking big picture and how big that was for the college football playoff, it's huge against yes, Clemson yes. to lose that game. But if I'm just projecting right now, what I saw against him, I know we're going to talk Alabama-Miami also, mm-hmm. but what I saw with Alabama-Miami, what I saw with Georgia, I just still don't see any way that Georgia is going to be able to score enough against Alabama to win that game. And flip it, I, I don't know what the expectations broadly are for Clemson, but I think they said the last national champion to win the title and lose their first games all the back, all the way back, I don't know if you guys remember the trivia question, 1980 maybe? That was Georgia. No, yeah, so. then it wasn't 1980. It was Miami, but it was a long okay. time ago, a long time ago. So I don't know how good Clemson's going to get, but odds are stacked against you losing your first game no matter to how good a, a, an opponent and surviving the season to come out and win the national champion. I know the playoff system's changed and all of that, but they're now behind the eight ball in terms of being able to, to revive their season to the point where they can go and win the title. I know we're going to talk more Florida State, uh, Notre Dame also, and this is such a great day because we're, we're just scratching the surface here on games to get into from over the weekend. Um, the McKenzie Milton story is a great one. However, I'm watching him play, and we can get into this later, Hutton, if you want. Yeah. Um, I don't know that he needs to be out there. That was not a guy who looked physically ready to play quarterback, even though he completed some passes. It, everything was shaky. His, his, his drop step on that leg. Not much arm strength either. It looked like yeah. he never had much arm strength, but it looked like no, a guy. No, he's, he's not able to plant and It throw. looked like a guy who, even when he would take off and run, and he was a great runner. Before that injury, yeah. when he would take off and run, at times I had my face covered like his mom did in the stands because you're expecting the worst. And people are usually the way cautious looked. with such things. People are very cautious. I think his, his doctor was there at the game. He had over 70 friends and family at the game. It's a great story. He's been out, what, two years? That he came years? back from that. Yeah. But I'm watching that and I'm thinking, I don't think this is a long-term solution. It's a great story right now that he made it through that. I don't see any way watching him physically play that McKenzie Milton is going to be the quarterback long-term at Florida State. 
We get into a variety of topics coming up. We'll talk Alabama's win over Miami. They, they just make it look so easy. LSU goes on the road, and for the first time since maybe ever, we see a Pac-12 team push around a top-tier SEC team, and that's exactly what happened as UCLA dominated LSU and, and Coach O. Um, Kentucky, Chad mentioned Kentucky. They're one of my standout teams from week one based on their quarterback play alone. We'll get to the discussion of that and much more. That is all straight ahead. First, though, let me tell you about Toyo's Clinic. Dr. Rolando Toyos and Toyo's Clinic. Toyosclinic.com is where I went to, to get my LASIK procedure. With Toyo's Clinic, you see better, look better. If you're ready to enjoy the freedom of not wearing glasses or contact lenses, do like I did and visit Dr. Rolando Toyos and Toyos Clinic, the number one LASIK provider across the state of Tennessee. And they even have uh, an office now in New York City. They offer the latest technology, flapless LASIK. With flapless LASIK, the very next day you can swim, work out, you wear makeup. It's so accurate and convenient. Navy SEALs get this procedure. MMA fighters and boxers go right back into training. Of course, I was right back to hosting the show after my procedure in 2016. Zero issues since. And a common misconception is that depending on your age, a remedy to upgrade your eyesight isn't always available. Ages 18 to 88, if you want out of your glasses, Dr. Toyos and Toyos Clinic can help you. If you're 50 or older, ask about the refractive lens exchange. Those are ways Dr. Rolando Toyos helps you see better. Dr. Melissa Toyos can help you look better with smart graft hair restoration. Just ask David Reed. Don't let eyesight or hair growth troubles hold you back. Call 888-603-1989. That's 800-603-1989. 800-603-1989. Toyo's Clinic. See better, look better. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Tonight at 6th and Peabody, our broadcast studio with Old Smokey and Yeehaw Beer. Benefit concert. Uh, to benefit the Waverly Flood victims uh, right down the road from us here in Nashville with Craig Campbell, Jason Seaver, Chris Weaver, Chase Beckham uh, was the winner of American Idol. He'll be here. Tiffany Goss, Kanan Smith, Will Nance, and more. It's a free charity concert tonight starting at 7 o'clock. All proceeds to the Community Foundation of Middle Tennessee and a portion of every moonshine and beer tasting from today through Saturday will go to the Community Foundation of Middle Tennessee and on-site donations are accepted tonight through Sunday. I'd like Seaver and Weaver to pair up for something. Seaver and Weaver. Uh, Could be a that nice would be, duo at some point. That would be. Um, so Jason Seaver does a lot of uh, the, the round table, the riders in the round um, at Bluebird Cafe. Nice. So tonight will be really cool. And then Weaver, uh, he's, he's gonna, I think he's going to pop by the studio a little bit later. Uh, that guy can, he could rock. So I, I can't wait to see him live. And, of course, Chase Beckham and everyone else involved. Wasn't it's going to be Jason a blast. Jason Seaver, the dad in uh, Growing Pains? Yes. Uh, Alan Thick. I always want to say Tom Seaver, but that was a pitcher. Uh, but I think it was Jason Seaver, yes. By the way, speaking of our studio, how about if you're watching right now, the nice new mic stands, the uh, mic arms that we have in studio. I was Always something new. Out. wonder why that is. My, mine was getting, uh, getting away from me in the why first segment. I had to make some adjustments. Bryce Young and Alabama – dominated Miami. It's not fair. Um, it's, it's Young's first real start and uh, first start. And I mean, he was looking at the numbers, 27 of 38, four touchdowns, no interceptions, 344 yards. Um, and 
it's the way that he stood in the pocket and delivered the football that lets you know he is going to be consistent and he's the real deal. That's it's not that, it's not that he's story. moving around and running all around and, and you know making throws on the move. Uh, it's that he stood in the pocket and did everything asked of him, plus he found what was open. That's a better opening game than the three previous starting quarterbacks at Alabama, all of whom have gone on to big things, right? Including Tua and Mac Jones. I mean, he... A the, guy, I mean, it's... He stepped up in the pocket. He hit Mechie on that one pass, Chad, on the early touchdown. And then uh, Jamison Williams on that 94-yard touchdown reception. I mean, it's just... Every year, it's just rinse and repeat, no matter who they have waiting in the wings. And that's what, that's what makes Clemson and Georgia and Alabama so dominant, uh, and especially in the SEC, Alabama and Georgia, is they just rotate in guys. And these five stars, these four and five stars, step up and play like they've been starters for two or three years. It's, a, it's remarkable because just go through the, the latest quarterbacks with, with Alabama. Um, Hurts at times, I think, defied physical logic the way he played the position and what he could do as a runner. Then you go to Tua, who the way he threw the ball in college at times defied physical logic. Then finally you get an opponent in Mac Jones like, oh, well, this guy physically isn't going to do much to us, right, when you're going up against Alabama. And then he has a mind that is almost Tom Brady-like that just dissects the opponent, and the offense and the receivers around him are so good, he knows exactly where to go with the ball. They have the best offensive season in history of college football with Mac Jones. Now they go to Bryce Young, who once again, I'm watching him, that pass to Mechie is a great example. Another guy who seemingly defies physical logic at times, the way he moves and throws the ball on a rope uh, on the run. I mean, it's, well, it's remarkable, and, and Paul, you said it's, it's not fair. Look, it's fair, it's not fun it's not anymore. Fun. It's not fun. I had zero fun watching Alabama Embarrass Miami no, I'm not on gonna, I'm TV. not going to hardly watch them this year unless there's a Twitter buzz that somebody's surprisingly keeping it close. Right? It, it's, it's weird to talk about in this sense because it's almost anti-American to not pay attention to the best. I have so much more fun watching all of college football not named Alabama than I do watching Alabama. Because they're do- – and this is, a, this is, again, this is a compliment to Alabama. Their dominance is such – and the rest of the country and every show like ours spend so much time talking about Alabama that it's like the top NFL team. Everyone who's a sports fan knows 10 guys on Alabama's roster yep. by week three because, you're because everyone's talking about Alabama because Alabama is clearly the best it's, team going. And I have a lot more fun watching <laughs> Northwestern Michigan State on a Friday night or watching Oklahoma battle it out with Tulane than I do watching Alabama dismantle people. See, it's going to be hard to avoid Alabama because they're going to be on, you know, CBS and, and ESPN. Well, we're talking about them right now. I'm not saying we're going to boycott right. talking about uh, Alabama, also, but I don't Bryce have as Young, much fun with it. When watching him, and I'm thinking to myself, we, we take the, the, the long lineage, the recent lineage of quarterback after quarterback after quarterback at Alabama, we take them for granted in some ways, just the next guy up. I'm telling you, you can look at the long list of quarterbacks for Alabama recently in the Saban era, and Bryce Young is still labeled as special And when I watch him play in that one game with just how he saw the football field, delivered the football with accuracy and with a little zip on the pa- – I mean, everything that he did uh, against Miami looked great. Houston Texans are watching him thinking, damn, he's only a sophomore. Well, and um, – 
think, think about it from this perspective. They're, they're playing a good Miami team, and it wasn't close. It, it, was, it looked like some of the other – it looked like UCLA and LSU. It's tough to sign up for that opening slot against Alabama, no matter how good you are. I mean, look, you want the shine of having a game that everybody's going to watch in that time slot and pay attention to you. And but you're going to get punished. I also don't – I mean, but here's the thing with Bama. Like, how embarrassing is it to get run by Alabama at this? Everybody gets run by Alabama. I mean, they run people off the field in playoff games. It's, it's not – I don't know that the, the stain of losing a game like that is as big as people make it out to no, be. No, it's not. Because it's so commonplace. It's not. Now, the key is you don't want to lose seven guys in that game to injury and then affect the rest of your season. I'm anti-cupcake, too, so I'd much rather you play Alabama than, you know – well, with Derek King I, you, and, ideally, and you'd like to find something in the middle. With right, Derek King and others for Miami, you're thinking, okay, let, let's see where let's we stand. Them. And let's, every, let's all the analysts were saying, uh, which is always a cop out to me, right? But the college game day crew was all saying, oh, it'll be close for half, and then Alabama will find its footing and play. It would close for a minute. No, it, yeah. it wasn't. It was not close. It, it was, was not close. It, now, it was not close at all. An underrated quarterback performance, I thought, uh, was Will Levis. At Kentucky. Wow. Um, I, uh, I DVR'd the game, and uh, <laughs> Claire actually goes, why are you DVRing? Um, it was like an overnight thing. It was like a 3 a.m. replay. I was like, because I need to see this game. Uh, it was Kentucky and, and Tennessee Martin, and I wanted to see Will Levis, and I wanted to see Liam Cohen as offensive coordinator because this is a different Kentucky team than what we have seen from Mark Stoops recently. And it's been a defensive-minded Kentucky team with a quarterback that looks to run and not air it out. And now it's reverse. Now they have play action, and it is bombs over Baghdad with the way they're throwing the football. And, and for those that don't know, Liam Cohen's the new offensive coordinator who came from the Rams. So he has lineage with McVay, and he has now brought that style offense to Kentucky. And Chad, what this tells me is that Stoops, who has been playing this uh, really, it's been an offense that has won half their games. You know, it's been good enough to win half their SEC slate at best. Uh, this is now an offense to me that says they have the athletes, they have recruited the athletes to run this style system. That should scare the, the mid-tier SEC teams because they have been right there on the verge with Stoops, who's done a really nice job. He's in year nine or year 10 now um, at, at at Kentucky he's always played solid defense that's what he's known for and now they have an offense to match I'm not saying that they're up there with Georgia but I mean they're they're a they're a cut above the mid-tier opponents Missouri. right now across oh they're oh, better they're, they're above Tennessee Missouri Vanderbilt for sure Vanderbilt everybody's above South them. Carolina they're above all of them and I College will say football is above they're Vanderbilt. a lot closer to uh yeah, yeah and we'll get into that in the Tennessee power hour they're a lot closer to contending with a Florida yes, than anyone else in the conference. And because it's right now it's clearly Georgia, then Florida, then a step back, then Kentucky, and then I think everyone else behind them competing well, for Levis, that spot. And then I think Vandy is further behind that next group. You, you said East. UT Martin, I think. You meant Monroe, right? Was it Louisiana Monroe? Louisiana Monroe. Is Louisiana Monroe, I'm yeah. sorry, yes. Um, and uh, Levis threw a pick on his first pass. Is that right? Um, he threw behind a receiver. It was tipped and was intercepted. Came back, and he's a transfer from Penn State. And when, when you watch him play, he, 
he's got some swagger to him. I uh, watched his post-game presser because I wanted to see how he reacted. He reacted like he just beat a team that they should go out and dominate. But it's they're up by 20 points or so, and they're still throwing fades in the back corner of the end zone because that's their offense. I don't care who you're playing. He had 14.1 yards per attempt. No, he looked great. <laughs> that's a monster number. Yeah, Kentucky was impressive. Um, let's get to the unimpressive part of the SEC weekend, Ooh. if we shall. Uh, Hutton, you said it earlier. UCLA physically dominated LSU. Did yes. not see that coming. Oh, I thought you were going all the way. And this is – look, no, this no is – No one uh, cares about Vandy, This honestly. is uh, – yeah. yeah. No one thinks about them. Well, not even Vandy fans think about it. Or they, they – honestly, they think about it. They just don't want you to think when's about it. When's the last UCLA time – look good. When's the last time a Pac-12 team physically beat up a top-tier SEC you opponent? You think of it as finesse versus power most of the time, don't you? I mean, Oregon – Oregon has, has won their fair share in some marquee matchups against SEC opponents. They haven't physically beaten yeah, them up. Kind of a UCLA just showed up and pushed them around. Zach Charbonnet is really good. Uh, the Michigan transfer, uh, that was one big takeaway from that game. It took Chip Kelly time, but he's got his system in place. And he's people. got his guys. He's not recruited that well to UCLA when you look at the overall rankings. But you know where else he didn't recruit very well? Oregon. And yet they were still consistently yeah. in the national championship picture because that system works and what he's doing works. The question was with Chip Kelly, would that system continue to work when almost everyone else in the country plays Runs with pace now. to some extent? And, does, does, and has figured, defended that, yes. not just from him, but from other people. But The whole world's caught up to it, right? But now if you execute it well and you have his people, whether they're top flight recruits or not, he's got people with his mindset and all of that. That's a great win. For them. It's a great win. It's a terrible loss for Ed Ogeron and LSU. And uh, I, while I thought it was hilarious, him getting into it with a fan before the game, that's only funny when you win the game, right? Like when you're yelling at a fan saying, you know, you bring your ass in your sissy blue uniform, you better go out there and beat somebody's ass. Because if not, you're going to be a, a punchline. And UCLA and changed so. their Twitter account to they have their uniform that says sissy blue next to the Jordan logo on their uniform. Um, so, look, Ed Ogeron right now is a joke. Uh, that LSU program got smacked around. And right now, I saw Clay Travis tweet this. The comparison people are making, Gene Chizik at Auburn. Gene with Chizik caught lightning in a bottle with Cam Newton, yeah. won the 2010 national title, and was bad from that point on. And two years later, fired. was fired. Yeah. Two years later. That's a good later, comparison. They're what? They were 5-5 five and five a year ago, 4-6, and six, horrible on defense. They brought in Bo Pelini. He fires fires Bo Pelini. If they're bad again this year, Ed Ogeron could be in trouble this season. Well, here's two years removed from a national title. Here's the scary part about LSU, Paul, is they, they, they allowed 330 yards through the air. And looking, doing the, that's 7.2 yards per attempt is what they averaged. UCLA against LSU's defense. That is a defense with Eli Ricks on one side and Derek Stingley on the other. Two top, I mean, if you're doing a draft in the SEC of corners, you're taking both. You're starting both LSU corners in the entire conference. And they were dominated in this game. Well, Stingley looked bad on that one play, too. Say what you want about the Sissy Blue. That Sissy Blue's got a lot of damn history in it, and it's been uh, not relevant for a while now. It's great for college football if UCLA is relevant and it lifts the Pac-10, and it's better for football if the Pac-10 is relevant. It's also great for Chip Kelly. Oh, hell yeah. 
And he's been right. persona non grata for a good yeah, while. Yeah, it's been in the Think shadows. Think of the disappearance of Chip Kelly. I mean, he went from revolutionizing the Eagles at the beginning with personalized nutrition drinks and all of that well, let's start, to, to fading from, in San Francisco. You're skipping over Oregon. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, in Oregon, he revolutionized it, that he got to Philadelphia, revolutionized, disappeared in no time in, in Philadelphia, went to San Francisco and was nothing. And yep. then from there, like, he went from the hottest thing in coaching in both the NCAA and the NFL to invisible in like lightning time. And that, now he's back. The way that game played out, I'm, I, I thought it was going to be a close game. I thought LSU was going to win the game, but it was going to be close. It was the dominant way that LSU won that is most surprising. And the physical about way. LSU. You raised that right from the beginning. Oh, I mean, in the trenches, Pac-10 they were just pushed being physical back. Is a big they deal. were pushed back. The, the, the amount of former LSU players on Twitter that were responding to UCLA fans saying, look, you guys are right. You slapped us around. You pushed us around. You punched us in the mouth that we had nothing for you. I have not seen that reaction from LSU players with the pride that they take, especially on the physicality aspect of the game, they had no answer for UCLA. Significant. Well, and it's, uh, it's crazy. You look at Chip Kelly talking about his uh, ascension through college football. He played at New Hampshire. And remember, it was the New Hampshire Mafia. It was him, Dan Mullen, uh, worked for him at New Hampshire also at one point that worked their way up. He was only head coach at Oregon for three years, which I didn't realize. He was, he was offensive coordinator before that. And then he took over 2009 to 2012, he was head coach at Oregon. And because of his experience in Philly, and then because of his experience with the 49ers, he wanted to take a job that didn't have as much scrutiny. I think he turned down a chance at Florida. I know Tennessee talked to him in one of their coaching searches at one point too. He didn't want to go to one of those hotbed, overly scrutinized jobs that you're going to have fans breathing down your neck. He liked the opportunity at UCLA because he knew he would have time to put his system in place and he wouldn't be under any real pressure. Well, he's had time at UCLA. It didn't work out as quick as people thought, but it sure as heck is working now with what he's doing there. And I think on the flip side, again, the LSU side of this, you talked about Stingley. I mean, I was blown away. There was the one play, the touchdown late, where he whiffs on a tackle and he was made to look foolish for a guy who's going to be a top five NFL draft pick. There's something going on with that LSU program, and it's not good, uh, starting right after they won the national title. Christian Fulton was drafted for the Titans, but he was considered uh, potentially a first-round pick whenever he's coming out of LSU. And the descriptions of him were he played alongside Stingley when Stingley was a freshman. Like, that's that's the way people talk about Stingley. LSU, I mean, uh, LSU had no answers for any type of game UCLA plan that UCLA gave them. UCLA's got Fresno State this weekend, and then all Pac, uh, all Pac-12 the rest of the way. Yeah, they. I mean, they're, th- they're going to be a factor in the Pac-12. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And uh, the way they can, the way they can get the run game going in the construct of Chip Kelly's offense and be physical is going to be a problem for everyone. We run through some more of the SEC performances, including Mississippi State that avoided disaster in a crazy fashion in the fourth quarter. Uh, We'll discuss that and their comeback win over Louisiana Tech. Also, last night, Ole Miss and Louisville. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. Hang with us. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network recapping the SEC weekend. Florida beat FAU. Emory Jones did not play well. 
Uh, Anthony Richardson came in. It, it's not like he was a ton better, but he ran seven times for 160 yards. He's not throwing it. He was running it. Um, and he threw for, I think, 30 or 40 yards in this game. But Dan Mullen, after the game, said that Emory Jones is still the guy. He passed for 113 yards, a touchdown, and two picks against Florida Atlantic in the opener at the Swamp. And he's still the guy. Now, he, he was the guy all offseason. But is there a little quarterback controversy going on if he comes out and plays you know, bad again and you have Richardson who steps in and, and is able to run the football effectively to get some first downs and move the stick? So there's something to be taken away from that performance just based on the quarterback play alone. That would be awfully quick to bail. Well, I will say this, though. If there's any coach, any head coach in the SEC who could handle a two-quarterback system and get really good things out of both, it's Dan Mullen. With his track record with quarterbacks, I'm not overly concerned with Florida because even if they're going back – and that's not ideal. You want to pick a guy and go with it. Right. But even if they're going back and forth, I think Dan Mullen's one of the few guys who can make it work with whatever series he's got that guy in because – he just has the ability to get the most out of the quarterback position, whoever plays it and whatever style the guy's playing. So, I mean, we've seen it with prototypical pocket passers. We've seen it with guys who like to run more, Dak Prescott. Then you've got Kyle Trask. Look at the mm-hmm. different types of quarterbacks he's had in, in his time as, a, as an offensive coordinator and coach. I think he'll find a way to make it work. Also, Mississippi State, they avoid disaster in what was a disastrous game for them. They, they opened up strong. Uh, they, they score two touchdowns, I believe, on their first two or three possessions uh, and then proceed on their next eight to either punt or turn it over. They turned it over four times on their next eight possessions and they trailed 34-14 to 14 going into the fourth quarter. They win 35-34 as Louisiana Tech misses a game-winning field goal at the end as, as time expires. It was a great game. If you missed it, I would highly recommend going and watching the replay of the comeback on YouTube because it's that much fun. Uh, they have to figure out a way at Mississippi State to run the football and take some pressure off their quarterback, defensive pressure, uh, because the offensive line is not going to hold up once they get to SEC play unless they can run the football some. And they just they could not do that uh, against Louisiana Tech, who was a game opponent. I mean, they, they opened up their lead, and then it, they didn't start turning it over. They just went three and out. They punted away. They lost their momentum, a little spark to it. And Mississippi State turned it on at the right time. Let's call this what it was, an utter choke job by Louisiana Tech. They got tight. They got up 31-14, to 14 and Mississippi State started moving the ball once, and they cratered the rest of the way. I mean, that's if fourth quarter, you're up big, and they could not close it out. And then that kick, I know they're saying it was blocked. I have watched I it from every angle. Because of the I TV. I could not see it blocked. The and TV cut from it too well, quickly. That ball looked like – it looked like just the worst attempt at a game-winning field goal I've seen. I've never seen a ball yeah. come off a foot that way. It looked like one of those Dr. Pepper uh, contest. tuition contests. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, I've seen Did better in that contest, to be honest. <laughs> this ball, I mean, it, I've never seen it <laughs> off a foot. It just went – flat in the air and was sort of spiraling like he threw a spiral. It was like a 45-yarder. It, it was 15 Brown. yards short on a 45-yard yeah, three yard line. Game. It was awful. <laughs> I mean, you knew immediately that thing had no chance. I just thought it was a, a, the worst uh, game-winning field goal attempt I've seen in a while watching it. But Mississippi State, I mean, they avoided disaster. 
Uh, they were down big. The other one was uh, Rice was up, I think, 17-7. I, I was going back and forth. Those games were having the same time. Rice was beating Arkansas 17-7. And like that, Arkansas covered a 19-and-a-half point spread. They ended up winning by 21. And they're down late third quarter by either 10 or 7 uh, to Rice in that game. And then Mississippi State, the same thing, where they pulled one out of the fire. Did you see the, the you, highlights from Texas A&M? Yes. With their quarterback? Their quarterback, there were shades of Johnny Manziel in that game. Yeah. Yeah, they look good. For a true freshman. What you expect these teams to do, I mean, you don't expect them to fall behind, but if they do, you expect them to find their footing and, and find their way back in games like this. Also last night, Ole Miss, uh, Lane Kiffin Flying is on his fast. couch watching, but the lane train is in full effect. It is so enjoyable to watch an offense just run their offense no matter what the score is. And that's what they were doing against Louisville. They, they did it from the jump and corral. Uh, he's, a, he's a lot of fun to, to watch play. And this offense is a lot. Here's Ole Miss, by the way, getting some defensive stops. And that's what Kiffin said stood out to him most was, we took the field and didn't feel like last night we had to score on every single possession. And that's what they had to do last season. They had to have the football last and they had to take advantage of every offensive opportunity because their defense was not stopping anyone a year ago. And he praised his defense first and foremost before he even looked offensively to what they did so well. So a couple things. Jeff Levy's going to be a head coach if he wants to be after this year. That offense is terrific. He mm -hmm. is great at calling plays. A classic example, Louisville's linebacker gets ejected, one of the four ejections in the first oh, half because brutal. of targeting, wow. which was brutal to watch. Louisville's linebacker gets ejected. There's a kid who's a redshirt junior from Smyrna High School, and we're doing the show in the Mid-State, here in the Mid-State, checks in. They, they put an emphasis on him on the broadcast. Now watch this guy right here who just checked in the game. Lebby immediately went after him four straight plays, right down the field for a touchdown, either throwing it at him and he couldn't defend or running it right in his area. That is expert play calling and knowing the situation and for that reason, I think Lebby's going to be a head coach quickly. I hate to be so negative here, just like I was about so Louisiana Tech negative. joking, but Louisville looked awful. They looked like they were playing a running back at quarterback. That guy could not pass at all. That was a terrible performance for Louisville. But on the flip side, Hutton, and you mentioned it, Ole Miss's defense looks a lot better, and the offense looks the same. That's bad news for teams in the SEC because I think they are ahead of schedule they might be. in what Ole Miss is building under Lane Kiffin. Yeah, I, I expected better. I tuned over with like five minutes left in the first half, and I was like, nothing left to see here. I've missed all of the fireworks with all of the ejections and stuff that everybody was talking about on Twitter, and the game's out of reach. I thought Louisville would be competitive for a, a while. Well, the thing is, no you, have to, you have to keep pace with Ole Miss if, you're, just, uh, if you're on their level in college football. And, and I'm, I'm saying if you're not Georgia or Alabama. Right. Um, and, and what I mean by that is you have to keep pace with their tempo and their pace of how they're, they're up three scores and they're still running up tempo. And you contrast that with Florida State, who played for overtime against Notre Dame and lost because of it. Uh, they... They, uh, Ole Miss plays one style. It's tough for them to go jumbo package in the first half and try to run the football in on the goal line against Louisville because that's not their game. Uh, th their game is wide open, and it's a lot of fun. It's, it's a fast-break like offense, that. and I realize there's a lot of college football like that, but Kiffin, Kiffin does not take the foot off, period. This is the heightened version of the fast-break. He, he's getting after Constant. it, yes. Kiffin is going to be so annoying to every fan base in the SEC West once he gets it rolling. 
at Ole Miss, and that's probably going to happen. looks like it may be happening sooner rather than later. And the ability to have Kiffin interviewed before the game and at halftime when he's at home with COVID was very entertaining. The, the line about the Big Ten officiating crew, and he said, they may need to go in the locker room at halftime and teach our kids how to tackle because apparently we don't know how to based on the ejections that they're calling in this game. I thought it was great. Is he going to have NFL appeal if he gets this going? If Cliff Kingsbury had NFL appeal? Let me ask you this. If Pete Carroll could strike out in the NFL, go to college at USC. And rehabilitate. Rejuvenate his career and then go to the NFL and have a lot of success, why not Lane Kiffin? It's been a long time since he coached for, what, one year under Al Davis with the Raiders? And then went back to college. And Al Davis is not like the normal place. Like he didn't bomb out at a normal place. Kiffin is made for college football. Like his whole makeup and mentality is made for a college campus. Like it's just. I I tend to agree. I want to say yes because I'd love to see his style. But he comes from an NFL stock too. Oh, absolutely. I mean. uh, Right. I I think there's got to be appeal on his end to the shininess of of the Lombardi trophy. And he may be a guy that got to the NFL and eventually decided college is where I need to be. And there's no appeal to get back. I don't well, know. He didn't, I don't, he didn't have I don't know him well enough to know point. what he right. wants ultimately. But I, I say, why not? If he has success at Ole Miss at this point. But, I mean, you still have, he, regardless of the situation. I'm interested Davis, in his future. He was a failed coach with the Raiders. He had one year at Tennessee. Don't know if it was a failure or success. Wasn't there long enough. He failed at USC. Mm-hmm. He went to Alabama, and Nick Saban rehabilitated his, his career. He was great there. Everyone's great at Alabama. Not much takeaway there. Went to Florida Atlantic, was good at FAU, and now he's in year two at Ole Miss. So I would say probably need to pump the more brakes time. and see more, more success time. at Ole Miss For sure. before putting him in the mix with NFL but if this jobs. Is what if this trajectory now is, is what we're talking about. Then why not? About. I mean, with other guys that have been given a second and third chance, I guess for an NFL job, why not Lane Kiffin if he has really good success at Ole Miss? And he's, he's like 70 and 35 as a college head coach now. He's gotten results. Uh, roughly, roughly. And, I, you know, give him credit too for – I mean, it's not like he sat and waited – and, and expected it to be handed to him. I no, mean, he, he went, went and worked for Alabama and, and Saban. Then he went to Florida Atlantic, and you know it, it, they were playing well whenever he left uh, with quarterback play and with Devin Singletary at Florida Atlantic. That was one of our 360 nights out at the time. Was yeah. Florida Atlantic coming here to the mid state? Um, it's it's intriguing. It also it, we'll get to the Tennessee Power Hour. Of this it also makes you wonder what could have been at Tennessee if he doesn't bolt for his dream job at USC, knowing that style of offense. And he, he was seeing the NCAA – he was seeing college football five years in advance for where it was. But he, a little then, much. He, was, he was still known as a pro-style offensive coordinator. He's evolved. That's what I mean. As but he's gone he was, on, but – He was getting to that, though. He'd be he, a little much for some owners. But for some owners who want a little much, he could be right in the wheelhouse. I thought what he did at Tennessee in that one year with Jonathan Crompton – was a Dan Mullen-esque quarterback coaching job to devise a system for a guy who had had no success to give him things he can do well and doing it over and over and over again. And they would destroy teams when they couldn't stop the simple things that he knew how to run over and over again. He's shown that throughout his career. Coming up in our number two, John McClain from the Houston Chronicle and Texas Sports Nation. He'll join us in about 20 minutes from now. We're going to talk all things NFL headlines with him. NFL Week 1, the NFL schedule kicks off on Thursday with Tampa Bay 
hosting Dallas. That and much more straight ahead on OutKick 360. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to OutKick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.